Hey everybody, welcome to the DeFi Mafia podcast here today with Dylan and Mike as always. And we have special guests Jack and Ian. Um, they are both actually friends of Mike's and uh, both working in the uh, uh I don't know exactly what to say, like um, crypto space now. Web3. Uh, Web3 web is the, yeah, the new the term, I forgot. Sorry, it's not crypto anymore. Web3. It's dude. Web3. Let's be, let's be professional um, here, sir. Come on. <laughs> so Easy, we, just to get backgrounds on both, you will start Jack. Uh, if you guys could just explain kind of what you do, um, whatever you want. Sure. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of people, uh, I got started because I saw uh, the price of cryptocurrencies skyrocketing and uh, I wanted to make money. Um, and in 2018, after uh, Bitcoin crashed from 20K, it was pretty clear to me that I could not get uh, rich quickly or rich at all even really by trading. It, was, it wasn't in my blood. So uh, I switched to smart contract development. I, I started with Hyperledger for a tiny bit, then switched over to Solidity, um, where I uh, started up uh, Blocks Blockchain Consulting at Miami University. Um, that was uh, awesome. Got to do a bunch of different things through that, um, to, to summarize it. Um, and then uh, also ended up serving as president at uh, the Miami University Blockchain Club. That was pretty fun. Um, and uh, from there, uh, I ended up uh, working on a platform called Rigor. Uh, we brought that basically from a piece of paper to a platform that has uh, seven or eight figures of investment. Um, and it has a lot of money locked up in the actual contracts we built as well. Um, and Ian was there for all of that. Um, and yeah, we've kind of moved on to zero knowledge now, given that... Um, it, it just seems like the direction that everything needs to go, given that it's a kind of silver bullet for privacy and scalability. Um, you know, we just started pouring time into it, um, mostly unpaid, but uh, kind of yielded results once we were able to actually demonstrate, um, you know, some progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And as for me, um, my introduction to the space goes back to uh, 2017. You know, I, I think everyone remembers the... Uh, Giant boom and bust 2017, early 2018 of uh, the overall crypto market. And um, at that point, I was kind of only looking at like cryptocurrencies, not really understanding the underlying technology, which is blockchain. And uh, I kind of stayed in that state for the next two years until um, my last year at college, uh, me and another individual from my school started a business to try and uh, bring um an online presence to local businesses in our um in the town where our school was those who couldn't necessarily cope with the pandemic uh we shipped an ordering system uh made a few websites here or there and uh i don't know i i never really thought it would go anywhere but um we ended up coming across jack's company uh blocks consulting which you mentioned before and um subcontracted under them to uh produce the precursor to rigor and uh, up until that point, I had no idea what smart contracts were. Um, I didn't know that blockchains could be programmable. They could be other things besides cryptocurrency uh, implementations. But uh, that was kind of my introduction to this whole space. And um, long story short, my company, uh, for various reasons, didn't work out. And I kind of stuck around with Jack for a while and uh, you know, expressed him my interest in learning more about the technology. And uh, a few months go by, I help them at the uh, blockchain club a bit, launch a uh, incentive token that we launched uh, early 2021. And, uh, you know, up until this point, uh, 
we both got hired at the uh, parent company to rigor and um yeah no without rambling too much uh here we are a year later and you know one of our main focuses and interest in the space is zero knowledge so there's so many topics that are uh up and coming but this seems to be the one that we both agree um provides you know the most potential value to the space going forward so uh yeah no hopefully that was a good uh non-rambly explanation of my background but uh that, great to be here dude that was great uh thank you guys both for coming on um that's interesting like so basically during COVID in 2020 you found you kind of like got more into smart contracts and like the you know the, the depths of things i guess and uh and it, it got you right uh that's cool i, I was gonna say I, I wanted to ask i want to hear more about rigor but i wanted to ask uh jack uh and both of you but like about the blockchain club stuff uh it's just interesting to me like uh what was that like like you know i guess building that up in school and like you know i'm just curious when you know how, how was that sure yeah um i mean the so one thing to consider is that the club probably would have uh folded if i was not there um there was not anyone who wanted to everyone was graduating and no one wanted to step up uh to take the mantle um because uh it, it was founded in 2017 as crypto was going up, 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 up. And as the hype died down, um, you know, the interest died down. So um, there was no one from the business school, really, aside from uh, some ISA professors who were wonderful, amazing, um, completely opened a lot of the doors that I walked through. Um, but basically, um, we had to focus on kind of like the business aspects of blockchain. Um, so taking out uh, any concept of like just digital current, maybe you could have digital currency, but at the end of the day, it's not about subverting um, any sort of central authority necessarily, which is uh, that big cyberpunk theme that, uh, or cypherpunk theme, I guess I should say, that comes with like Bitcoin. That's why you initially worked on Hyperledger, I imagine, or like kind yeah, of. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Because again, I was applications. To figure out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a lot of that was in like uh, supply chain. So we got to work with EY a lot. Actually, if we end up talking about Polygon, um, Polygon Nightfall ended up uh, becoming um, was EY's Nightfall project at first. Um, so uh, it was kind of cool to watch that evolve. Which, as we speak today, we're recording this on what the twenty second or something. And Polygon just announced that they're doing a partner to Stripe in USDC, which is super sick and then they also announced supernets right we were talking about yeah. this earlier in one of our group chats one of our friends works at avax so we were chatting about that uh but uh <laughs> you could say but uh uh no anyway so i just want to say yeah literally today as we speak polygon just had like two major announcements so uh it's cool yeah yeah so that obviously you guys went down the zk path like this uh seems like the, the smart route to go especially if you're a developer uh so Anyways, yeah, I was just curious with the club. Yeah, so you said professors, like, opened you up. And anyways, yeah. I won't take the spotlight too much, but, yeah. No, it was cool. Dude, like, that was how uh, that's that was how me and Jack met was through the club. It was, like, I think it was, like, what, 2019 or something? I yeah. think so. Yeah, and, like, to your point about the how the club was operated in terms of, like, the like, what the focus was, like, Carvalho was, like, very big about Carvalho, yeah. blockchain, right? What, what was the joke? It was, he was, it was, uh. If I remember, like, uh, I think it was Ash. Yeah, Ashton was always like making fun of him for or something he was saying about the tech or something. But um, anyway, it was Probably literally just none of it being viable. But yeah, um, everything that people suggest being just absolute crap. 
Yeah, and, but it was like yeah. very focused on the tech, and that was a very interesting point that I really liked about um, like yeah. like kind of like because you had this like base of it versus just like diving in like different coins and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, he came from a perspective of like business analytics and and like actual like processes that are uh, used to automate like whether it's supply chains or, or compliance through uh, it's called robotic process automation. There's already these huge um, uh, networks that are uh, transferring big data, you know, uh, transferring huge amounts of data um, and uh, the mechanics of, of trusting and securing that uh, data between parties. Um, you know, there is counterparty risk in interacting with other businesses. So um, that was kind of where he saw the value. Um, and it definitely has kind of colored where uh, we have kind of tried to move towards in the space uh on the zk since you guys mentioned it a couple times can you explain like for the audience kind of what zks are and why you guys uh love them so much and think they're uh the future of france as people say sure yeah um so there's the privacy part which uh is it already is confusing but the scalability part is kind of like a um, the roll-ups are, are very uh, creative, uh, whoever thought of them, uh, Barry Whitehead, I guess. Um, amazing. But um, essentially, you can prove that you know something without revealing it. So um, one of the uh, examples is currently we transmit uh, a hash of our password over to uh, a server to validate. Um, but it, it's still uh, an encoded or encrypted version of uh, our, our password. Whereas uh, a zero-knowledge proof can set up a, a really complex computation that has a lot under the hood that really doesn't matter, but it will allow you to prove that your password is correct for your account without actually revealing that password. And then you can take that idea and extend it um, in a lot of different ways. Like one thing we threw around at uh, MUBC was... Um, uh, like Crawford had those, the president of uh, Miami University had these like harm reduction initiatives for uh, like drinking and stuff because it's a huge party school. Um, and one of our ideas was um, that never really got far, but was totally viable with zero knowledge was that you could um, query Miami University's like uh, private student data and determine whether they were 21 or not without actually violating uh, all of these different rules about sharing this information. Uh, mm. And you could really mess up uh, the days for a bunch of kids who are thinking they're gonna get in with fake IDs. So, I mean, right. there's there's a lot you can do with it. It's really kind of, once you understand uh, the basics of it, um, that's a privacy part. Um, and then should I go on to the scalability part? Yeah, yeah, go on to that part. Um, so because you are, um, taking, uh, information and hiding it basically, uh, or changing it, um, transforming it in such a way you can do, um, you can do a Merkle proof, which is actually already a, an integral part of how Ethereum works. It's basically, um, a bunch of hashes of data, and then you just hash the hashes in a tree higher and higher until you get a single hash. So it's very, very, very compact and it, it can represent huge amounts of data. Um, so what a, a zero knowledge proof does is instead of doing all of the uh, computation on chain, you do it all off chain and then you stuff all the results in this 
proof called a Merkle proof, which is basically just a, a storage object, a cryptographic storage object. Um, and then you take that, which is like much, it, it's literally 10,000 times smaller uh, than uh, it would be. I think that's a limit, 10,000 X, um, than it would be uh, if you did it normally. And you put that cryptographic object on chain and you've got all of the privacy benefits but now you can also scale it up with huge efficiency. So there's uh, that scalability part was really um, the, the motivation for us. We, not to ramble too much, but I think this is good context. Uh, Ian and I were present on a standup where uh, at Rigor, um, there was a serious conversation about um, where we like calculated gas fees on Ethereum and we were um, considering passing on a uh, million dollars of gas fees to uh, users. And I mean, come on, that's that's just, that prices out so many different applications. So um, that kind of stuck with me and, and is kind of why I really want to see uh, zero knowledge uh, added to my own toolkit. But I, I also think, you know, everyone should be doing the same thing if they want to build code that can actually function in 2022 on a, on a blockchain, public blockchain. Yeah, it's really that's really interesting. The part about um, like make, having to make decisions on like what the actual end user like gas fee is. Um, like one quick question. So like the zk thing. So like back like knowledge on like the zk stuff. How can you explain like the pros and cons to optimistic rollups? Because that's I feel like that right now, especially with uh, them like teasing a token potential listing soon is pretty big uh could be a pretty big talking point so like what are you like what are your thoughts on optimistic versus dk and like kind of what it like how it differs yeah so i don't fully uh ever since the eat denver bottle ever since eat denver um i've really been trying to consider the upsides because it's so prevalent at first i just didn't like optimistic roll-ups at all i thought zero knowledge was superior but there's this project called ZK Operu, and it is an optimistic zero knowledge rollup. And I don't know what that is, to be honest. ZK Operu, you said. ZK O P R U, um, yeah. I believe it is. Um, and this is uh, where actually BattleZips is going to um, be working with the Ethereum Foundation. This is a, a, a huge Ethereum Foundation project. So, mm. um, however, it works. Plugs that battle zips real quick to explain people kind of because they, it, it, they'll get a good idea of what you're talking about with the how ZK works as far as the information flow. Yeah, so um, have you guys ever played uh, the game Battleship? Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So if first off, if you wanted to play that on a blockchain um, before or without zero knowledge, that's functionally impossible. You can't you can encrypt data, but you can't trustlessly like compute on it. Um, and the first version, what we presented at ETH Denver, what is accessible at HTTPS, uh, I don't know why I said that, uh, at battlezips.com, um, that is only privacy. And each of the transactions, it's very slow, uh, like we'll make a shot and it'll take like 30 seconds sometimes to update on the other side, partially because of the subgraph, which uh, Ian built. Uh, we should probably talk about that in a little bit. We should uh, 
ask Ian about subgraphs because that's a huge, massive thing in, in DeFi. Um, but whether it's the subgraphs or whether it's just the chain itself, uh, there's a, a throughput bottleneck there. Um, so version two, which gets us all the way over the finish line and, and is scalability, what we do is we use state channels, which is a fancy word for uh, just a connection between two, uh, two clients and, and you're using signatures while you're like advancing state. Um, we advance the game over a state channel where we're signing um, with like keys, like it's a DAP, except it's not being put on chain. And then like we talked about that cryptographic storage object, a, a Merkle proof, um, we take the data, which so far has been generated in a experience that feels like web two, cause it's like a, it, it's no different. You're passing it back and forth between a peer to peer connection. It's very quick. Um, you stuff that entire thing in one transaction and then you roll it up so you can play the entire game uh, in a single transaction. And um, functionally, uh, the user has a much better experience and it costs way less gas. So that's kind of the end vision. That's super interesting. Yeah, that's super. Uh, before we get on the sub subgraph, I don't want to go on like a too big of a tangent to that, but like you see that being like a huge problem with GameFi right now. Um, and like, I don't know, as more users on board, because like, Right now, it's like, okay, GameFi, it's kind of in like this weird state. It's not like really, like, is this really what the games are going to look like type of thing? And it's like, when these games start to get, you know, those millions and millions of users on like, on like EVM or like these like EVM chains, or do, you, do you think there's going to be like a big bottleneck there? Eventually? Yeah, it happened to Polygon, um, like Sunflower Harvester or something like that. Um, shot their uh, gas fees up to like I remember that. Mm. Yeah. I remember that. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's already happening every single chain that gets massive adoption that is uh, doing their um, computing on chain will experience, even, even if you're not, it'll still eventually hit a bottleneck if enough people adopt it. But uh, the idea behind zero knowledge, uh, especially with uh, rollups for scalability, is that you do the computation off chain and that's super expensive, but it's not done on chain. And then you get a receipt, a cryptographic receipt that you can verify very quickly on chain. You and, roll it up, yeah. Yeah, roll it up, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Because right so, now what a lot of games are doing is they're just having some of the functions be on chain and some of them be off chain. And that kind of, yeah. I guess it depends on the game, right? It depends on like, like if you're doing, like a, a, an example would be like, because I've thought about this, like people talk about like Counter-Strike on-chain and it's like, that would be functionally impossible right now. Yeah, right? like tick rate, uh, yeah. 60, it takes a second uh, on a chain. Solana so you could that. have, yeah, like you could have like the in-game items on-chain, sure. And that's like what we have, right? You can make the skins NFTs or whatever. But if you want actual like, like you said, like 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 so millisecond uh, uh, response times. It's just it's it's literally impossible. And do you think ZK would, at some point, like say five years down the line, be able to handle something like that? So I'm still not quite sure. I think to a degree, no, you're never gonna get something that, at least with the current forms of cryptography we have I'm, if someone comes up with something that like because first off compared to where we are in 2017 we've had huge advances like uh mm -hmm. Plunk, 
uh, Plonky 2, all the all the different versions of Plonk compared to like Groth 16, which is what uh, Zcash was built on. Revolutionary, but already antiquated. Um, so there might be tooling in five years that just makes everything I'm saying completely obsolete. But um, I, I don't think you would be able to get to a point where it's like computationally or economically feasible to be doing, um, you know, dozens of, of hashes, uh, cryptographic proofs uh, a second. Like it takes like 10 seconds for medium and small size proofs to generate. Mm -hmm. um, so you could do like, obviously turn-based games are easy, but um, I think you could probably get a lot yeah. of like RuneScape style clicking games that are still kind of slow. You could probably get those going pretty quickly. Um, I don't know. There, there are people who are a lot uh, smarter than uh, me or any of us when it comes to the networking and, and cryptography stuff. I'm, I'm just kind of walking around the dark forest picking up stuff that I find. Um, but the people who build this stuff um, could probably do uh, a, a lot more than we can kind of comprehend at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is where Ian is uh, the expert. Oh, yeah. I'll defer to him. Yeah, for sure. I want to bring Ian in. It's but, been, it's been you. I'll give you a break. <laughs> well, what's the um, what about the uh, one subgraph that you had to do? The one that was uh, you were going off a enzyme. I think that's like a, a really oh, good right. how yeah. you actually get to be a master at something like this, or at least uh, you know, an ex uh, a skilled expert. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was complicated to say the least. Um, so I got my introduction to subgraph development last summer. I kind of did a project on my own and uh, just played with it a little bit. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have called myself very skilled towards the end of that project, but um, I ended up uh, going a few months after that without any professional experience. But uh, then I came across a project which I am uh, still currently working on right now. It's called Me Tokens, and we're actually going to be launching V2 here in the uh, next few weeks, which is super exciting. But uh, yeah, so when it came to developing a subgraph for tokens, we had a special problem, and that was uh, we needed to, um, well, first of all, are you guys familiar with subgraph to a certain extent, or would you like me to give a little reason? Yeah, yeah, give, give a background give, on subgraphs. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So yeah, um, obviously, uh, what a blockchain is, it's a way of, um, you know, a blockchain maintains state, and uh, in order to... Uh, get certain data you want to be able to read off the blockchain you know see someone's account balance see the balances for multiple accounts that sort of thing um but blockchains aren't great for reading a ton of data at a time uh it can require multiple requests uh, multiple async calls and jack and i kind of ran into this issue at mubc when we launched the incentive token um because we were trying to look at all the accounts that had uh retweeted a tweet to show their participation in the club and it ended up uh resulting in a really slow uh page load time to get all that data and what a subgraph does is it kind of eliminates the need for multiple async calls it's a way to um get event data from off the blockchain and store it inside a database where it's easy to access that data through a uh, language called graphql so instead of having to make multiple calls at once you just specify how many records you want and uh in addition to that, you can also perform uh, filters on those records. So like look for account balances above a certain threshold or below a, a certain threshold. 
So um, this is pretty essential to uh, scalable uh, DAP development in 2022. I mean, if you don't have a subgraph, you're not going to be able to um, really have a performant app that uh, is comparable to uh, what you've used a subgraph before, for sure. Uh, you might yeah. not know that you used it. Doesn't Uniswap have yeah, it? Yeah, Uniswap literally has everything. Has every, major, yeah, every major DeFi platform is bound to use a subgraph. Um, so you've definitely used one before without realizing it. But could you um, explain, like in a Uniswap example, since people are familiar with Uni, like how they would use a subgraph? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, performing, so like writing on chain, like or performing a swap, uh, a subgraph is only used for readable data. Like anything writable is uh, specifically smart contract related. But let's say you perform a swap, right? And uh, you swap USDC for ETH or any token. Um, that is going to be stored. That is going to emit a uh, transaction event. And Uniswap, one good example for where their subgraph would be used is looking at all past transactions. Um, let's say every transaction has an ID and you can access one transaction at a time on the smart contract. Again, there it's going to involve multiple async calls. You don't want to go through a list of different uh, transactions based on ID and request them one at a time. You're going to want a list of like the past thousand transactions, that sort of thing. So that that is where uh, subgraph would be critical uh, to rendering that data in a uh, performant and quick manner. Okay, that cool. Sense. And then you were mentioning, what was it Enzyme you said? You were yes, yes, yeah, so Enzyme. Uh, getting on to Enzyme, uh, are you guys familiar with Enzyme Finance? No. No. Okay, so no, Enzyme, no. Um, without getting too off topic, they offer what's, what are called vaults. And it's the idea of a vault is you can basically deploy your own uh, fund on chain. And uh, it's completely transparent. People are able to gauge your performance. Mm. Um and it's, it's kind of limited. You can only do so many different assets that are supported right now. Um, so you use Chainlink oracles for asset pricing. Um, that, that's sort of where the limitation comes in. But uh, they have one of the most impressive subgraphs in the space. And uh, the reason is they're able to utilize Chainlink price feeds to create time series data. So what the price of a certain asset is at a specific hour, day, week, that sort of thing. What this allows you to do is it allows you to have a much more um, rich data set to display on the screen. So like showing uh, how a fund is performed over time, uh, what its average yield is by month, uh, as well as, you know, charts to show the um, uh, when you buy into a vault, you're given a uh, token to represent your ownership in that vault, which you can then exchange for uh the coin uh, you invested in the vault with. So uh, you'll be able to see over time how the fund performs, how that token increases, decreases in price over time. So uh, there really aren't many other uh, platforms that have done this sort of thing. I think Uniswap might have utilized time series data too, but um, Enzyme by far has uh, the most impressive subgraph um, that I've come across. Uh, so I, I went off of their uh, model pretty much for this Me Tokens project because like Enzyme, we need to uh, show the price of a token over time uh, as it appreciates, depreciates in value. So um, there right now, we're only using a stablecoin example uh, as we get into V2, but eventually we're going to utilize more and more Chainlink price oracles to um, be able to represent the uh, fluctuations over time of a uh, specific meat token. 
And uh, yeah, no, without, um, I don't think I'm going to get too in depth on what Me Tokens is, but that by far was uh, what I would consider uh, my, the, the uh, boundary from where I went from a novice subgraph developer to a uh, subgraph master. Uh, where we are today, uh, developing one for battle zips. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's basically my background on it. Uh, for battle zips, uh, we just wanted to use a subgraph to retrieve data, uh, game data from, um, from on chain to uh, refresh the state. So let's say uh, if a user gets disconnected, they just refresh the page for any reason. There again, you don't want to go um shot by shot on the battle zip board you want to be able to get all those shots and repopulate the screen in a uh, efficient manner so their mm -hmm. uh subgraph was a perfect use case but one of the limitations with subgraph it, it's great i mean you're not going to be able to come across anything better when it uh, comes to reading on-chain data but a real limitation is because it's in its early stages right now um the hosted service which is what we used is uh, receives a lot of traffic, so it's not often very quick to update. So sometimes uh, you would hope to get some reflection of the state change uh, within a few seconds um, once a transaction has gone through, but it can oftentimes take uh, 40 to 45 seconds, uh, which is not great when it comes to a real-time game. And that's one of the problems right now. We're looking to uh, state channels to come across, you know, deliver that performant experience of a uh, of a web two like game in the web three space, so uh, yeah, that's it, it served its purpose for um, our initial implementation of Battleships. But going forward, it's probably not uh, the best long term solution for a uh, real time game. What's the limiting factor there on subgraphs that they can't uh, get faster than that? Well. I think it's mainly due to the fact they receive a lot of traffic. Um, like I said, there's not really another um, another service in the space that can uh, index data so efficiently. You could go ahead and maybe create your own uh, database to listen to on-chain data, store events in a database, and query it efficiently that way. But uh, Subgraph just provides you with a really nice and uh, concise toolkit to where you can specify uh, what the address of your smart contract is, what events it emits, and then based off that, um, using their um, their uh, toolkit, you can easily create listeners that uh, listen to this event data and store it in your own personal subgraph. So ease of use draws a lot of people in. But again, get, getting back to your question, that many people coming in for such an amazing service has a cost, and uh, they're just having trouble putting up with it right now. Oh, that add the caveat and this is the exact same issue that me tokens is experiencing with ceramic um a lot of these services will offer uh free endpoints that you can use so this hosted service they're giving away for free and huge swaths of uh the ethereum ecosystem uh evm chains rely on uh subgraphs for free so uh you can actually it's a decentralized protocol if you are this dedicated and you want to have guaranteed performance, you can um, download and run a node yourself and index everything yourself. Eager Jack, I was gonna get to that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh good, no, you can take it away. Sorry, you just said uh, that you couldn't do it and I was like, wait, but you kinda can't. I, I was gonna get to it, no worries. <laughs> okay. Well, it's okay. I think uh, 
that's good on the subgraph discussion. I think uh, we'll have to read more on that because that's something that I don't think you can understand in the first explanation. Um, but okay, let's go back to we were talking about zk's and uh, can we talk about kind of just a few different uh, like comparing chains and kind of different scaling solutions that are out there and maybe your guys' thoughts on uh, kind of the state of things. You've got like Avalanche subnets, you've got Solana, you've got Cosmos, IBC, like Polygon, like we mentioned. Uh, I don't know exactly which ones you have strong opinions on, um, but if you have anything, uh, we'll, we'll hear it. Yeah, uh, and for the screen share, David, this Jackson, this before the pod, uh, I thought this was super interesting. And for people who are not on YouTube, it reads, uh, so how standards proliferate? And the situation is there are 14 competing standards and then 14 ridiculous. We need to develop one universal standard that covers everyone's use cases. Yeah, and soon the situation, there are four, there are just 15 different competing standards. I thought that was like really interesting uh, context to that question uh, that you sent over before. Yeah, uh, right. Like it's impossible to basically unify everybody. Yeah. So if we talk about like, um, yeah, I mean, you can pick up whichever one. I know you have a little uh, bit of experience with like, like Polygon, right? Or maybe Cosmos. I'm not sure. Uh, whichever one you want your thoughts on. I guess I'll just say really quickly. Like, I guess if you're normally use, if you're comparing like what you prefer. Um, I mean, that's tough. Like EVM chains are nice because they are, there's a lot of um, standardization around them, but they're also, there's a lot of limitations. So, um, you know, I, I actually really do like the tech behind Solana. It's just the validator set for me. Um, so I, I think there are a lot of cases for a lot of different chains. Um, at the end of the day, um, I think most of my apps will end up rolling up from, you know, like L2 to um, some like subnet to some, you know, like maybe Polygon or AVAX and then eventually finally rolling up to the Ethereum mainnet for ultimate, um, you know, finality. Because uh, I still think that the Ethereum mainnet has certain security guarantees that uh, just some of them don't. So if you can, like, make it just that uh, tiny receipt that you have to store and you can do the rest of the stuff, like, you get further and further down these chains as they're less and less decentralized. Um, you know, you can have a hybrid of the architectures, I think. So you, you don't you don't need to pick necessarily anyone are there any that you don't like that you think are not going to work uh i i don't know <laughs> not not anything that i could uh give you i mean you know there's there's passionate people behind all of these projects and uh you know a, a lot of the at least the utility platforms, right? Uh, AVAX, uh, anything that can run a smart contract um, is going to be, uh, you know, it, it's going to have something behind it unless it's a clone. Like, oh, but yeah, Binance Smart Chain. There you go. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Binance Smart Chain would be the one I would pick to hate on. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to use the chain, um, but there's, Nothing stopping it from existing. There's no reason it shouldn't. So, yeah, because like right now, like Can everyone's talking. Oh, sorry, you can go on. 
Go ahead, go ahead. So, like, on the topic I was going to ask, so, like, right now everyone's talking about, like, oh, like, what change is going to be, like, the ETH killer promo? And, it's, I mean, it's kind of a meme, right? But, like, for us, it's more I don't think anyone like, says, does anyone smart actually say the term ETH killer anymore? Nobody says that. Like, no, nobody, yeah. Nobody reasonable. It's like a meme, yeah. Right That's, if you think ETH's going to die, you're just retarded. Yeah, yeah. Continue on, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, Sorry. okay, like, so if I, given that like all these things are gonna be around, and it's and it's gonna be like you said, like the situation where it's like, okay, maybe roll to this chain, blah, blah blah. Like, where does kind of like the value, like, which where do we see like, like which chains are able to like, kind of like rise up and like where does that like, like where does the uh, the value creation for that happen? Like, what chain? Like, what need? What for what chain? Um, I put this. Like what traits of that chain make it so that it has more value than the other ones? If that makes sense, I'm not sure if I'm putting that well. Network effect. I mean, I, I think that's really the number one thing. Um, you know, if you build a superior app to anything else that's just brand new, and it's also on Solana, and you get a bunch of users that just are are not. It's who you bring into the space that's new, really. I think. Um, so, yeah. That that's an interesting point. Like, okay, Solana is a good example with Steppen recently. I'm not sure if you've seen kind of the craze with that. It's basically like a, a pay to what is it? Uh, uh, walk to earn or whatever. It's like an app that people have and they can walk around and they get paid yeah. a token. And it's on Solana, and it's like one of the early applications where I've seen complete normies who don't know anything about crypto, blockchain, anything, but they're using it and they're getting paid and that's on solana or it has like other uh uh like social um social media stuff that they're kind of building and things like that and then um like near is now coming with their own like sweat coin type thing same thing like like these are examples where it's like oh you could literally bring in like like i think sweat coin like we were looking at yesterday it has like tens of millions of users and they just partnered with near to basically have a coin and it's like that could literally skyrocket near to number one on the list of of users basically and those people wouldn't even know they're necessarily interacting with the app but on the back end they are like things do you think that's kind of more the future we're headed to where people are interacting with blockchains without even realizing it yeah i mean it's a little bit of a meme i don't i don't know how much it's repeated um but uh, do any of you guys really seriously think about like TLS certificates or um, right. UDP and TCP and all, all that bullshit that uh, has to do with um, actually getting uh, like the plumbing basically for all the fun stuff. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it, blockchain is just plumbing. So um, yeah. done right, you don't notice it, I think. Um, right. With, you know, again, there's the exception of stuff like Bitcoin and Monero where the whole purpose is, you know, it might be difficult, but it grants certain special properties. Um, so. Um, I wanted to ask a question. Quick size, since you mentioned Monero, that's obviously its own private. Yeah, go ahead. You want to go first? No, go continue. Don't... No, continue. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, do you have any thoughts on Monero? Um, I have heard a lot of people joke that the government runs it. Um, 
And I think that would be <laughs> funny uh, if it turns out that they had popped uh, shot two fifty six a while ago, um, and they're just like monitoring it and only going after the absolute worst. I mean, um, in when when the Enigma code was broken in uh, World War Two, um, the British like let they found out about attacks that were going to happen and they knew about it and they let people die because they didn't want to give away the tactical advantage so right. um yeah you think there's a if you had to assign a probability of that being the case right now what would you say pure speculation <laughs> it's just a funny it's a funny okay. idea that i've seen floating around other than that uh i don't know i'm, I'm not really trying to um make my money disappear in a boat accident or anything so okay all right Dylan, um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna ask, like, uh, like I, I've spent a good bit of time on L twos, or just like learning about them, and like, obviously, people talk about how uh, one of the problems with zk rollups, why they they're far out right now, is like uh, they're not solidity or uh, uh, Starkware. I know does DYDX. What's the other one I'm thinking? Uh, zk Sync is the one that like uh, is in Cairo, is, if I'm not mistaken, right? They use Cairo. I was the language, right? Yeah, yeah. Cairo is the language. Yeah, that is not Cairo. solidity that zk Sync uses. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah yeah so point being uh yeah like what do you guys think about that like how's how has you guys' experience been as a dev trying to build in zk world but also what do you guys think about that like the long-term effects of you know that being maybe prohibitive or i really just the timeline i i don't think I, i'm i'm sure or it feels like probably all of us here are like sold definitely you guys obviously on the fact that zk rolls with the future but i'm just like what do you think how do you think that impacts the timeline i guess <clears throat> yeah um and i mean i'll let i'll let ian talk about uh stuff like mina um and i i took a look at starknet but i decided not to go down that route and to um go with something that was on uh an evm chain like it, it was not an l2 um but there are um so a lot of the the current and this is going to be a little technical but the the current model that most zero knowledge uses is something called arithmetic um or, or uh not arithmetic it's it's um rank one constraint systems which uh basically turns everything into like a, a logical circuit rather than actual code um and there's a bunch of special intricacies that go into that that's not really fun but it allows you to do dynamic things whereas there's something called arithmetic intermediate representation and that is what most uh, zero knowledge virtual machines that can do general purpose zero knowledge stuff that is like really what we want. Um, that is still, you know, much more nascent and being developed. So, uh, you know, I was, I was a little hesitant to just like push straight forward with, uh, you know, non ZKVM uh, code. Cause you know, who knows you know, tomorrow it could come out that there's a working virtual machine and, uh, all the work that you know you're doing with Circom maybe is is completely useless, but uh, I, I think that even if something like that did come out, uh, there would be some time before it was adopted for sure. Um, but yeah, I think in the next few like years, it's really going to start to ramp up. Um, but do you, yeah, do you think know. it like significantly? Uh, it makes the developer experience better, or worse at all, or you know, oh, worse? Yeah, way worse. Obviously worse, but ten thousand times worse. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, can you quantify? Yeah, okay. ten thousand times the scaling, ten thousand times the pain. Um, for now, though, uh, for now, you know, yeah. this was something that in twenty seventeen, 
you would not find mentioned uh, with, you know, slight exception and maybe a Reddit board, you would not find mentioned outside of uh, academic paper. Um, and to bridge the gap between uh, that and, uh, you know, DeFi DGENs um, in five years is a very difficult task. So, you know, it's not like anyone's fault, really. Um, but you know, the, the resources will stack up eventually and it'll be easier and easier. People will build, um, like JavaScript is built on top of C and uh, it's much easier to use. So things will be built on top of things and uh, other people will build stuff on top of those things. And eventually, you know, everything will be sunshine and rainbows. But right now it's still uh, very, very much uh, uh, dirty trying to actually get the cryptography implemented. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. And like, um, like, yeah, other languages as far as like, obviously, like I know, you know, other, other chains like Solana and Nier use like Rust and Rust is kind of a meme. Like, are there any languages that you guys really like or do you not have necessarily strong feelings about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've just been actually jumping into Rust right now. Um, yeah. Uh, so um rust is like uh rust was just added as the second official language of um linux it is like the most compatible um language with WebAssembly, which uh is a way to write code that is super super portable that will run in a web browser on a toaster uh on anything you can think of it it, it will run it mm -hmm. uh, and it has very granular control over, uh, you know, some of the specifics like memory and uh, it lets you get really performant applications if you know what you're doing. Um, and I think that that's really valuable for something like uh, blockchain. But also when you have so many people who have no clue what they're doing, it's like, you know, the, the wormhole hack, um, you know, mm. it's no wonder with how complex it is compared to writing contracts on Ethereum. It's, it's a lot harder. And in, in my humble opinion, um, but that's kind of, it comes with the territory. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of debates between Rust and Go. And uh, again, this is also, um, Ian and I both have been going back and forth in, on Rust and Go because um, a lot of the zero knowledge stuff, a lot of API stuff, a lot of everything is, is being built in Rust and Go more and more. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a complete toss up, which one will truly win, but, uh, I'm, I'm putting my uh, eggs in the rust basket. So uh, okay. I, I actually, I heard uh, Tarun Chicha from Gauntlet, who uh, I think is like one of the better thought leaders in the space. He'd said recently uh, that uh, Nier has the best dev experience and then Polkadot, he said at second. Um, yeah, yeah. Eat Denver, the, they had a ton of devs there. They were really popping off yeah, compared yeah. to like everywhere else. They, yeah. they had some sweats too. Like they were... It, it was a different atmosphere than everywhere else. It was kind of cool. I uh, yeah, I, I I work at Woo, and I hear a lot about near internally as well. Like I'm hearing more and more. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you see it on Twitter everywhere too. But point being, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, obviously it's a great experience for devs, but also like more, more and more people are building and investing in it as well. So um, yeah. Anyways, uh, cool. I, I just wanted to. Uh, on on zk DeFi, this is where like i'm really interested because right now i think one of like the uh, one of the very like 
biggest, uh, uh, I don't know, like the, one of the bad things about DeFi, I guess I could say very simply, uh, is that like everything is public, right? I can, if I know what your wallet is, I can see everything you're doing and all of your interactions. Um, and I think the idea of telling the average person that, right? Like if you actually want to onboard like the masses on the DeFi, the idea that like, I, oh yeah, I can just, your neighbor can just look at your wallet and see everything that you're doing, right? That is not going to fly. With ZK DeFi, like, what does that kind of look like? I mean, it's, I think it's kind of almost hard to imagine because there's other implications too on like, uh, not to really go down that rabbit hole, but like uh, government tracking versus like, like, like all, all types of stuff. Like, do you have uh, ideas around that? Um, well, Jack, if you don't have anything to say about the DeFi side, I, I do want to say one interesting thing. Um, I don't know if we ever got in depth into Rigor, what exactly they do, but mm. basically Rigor is a, um, a platform that enables home financing and construction on top of Ethereum. So a home builder can come and list a, a current construction project on a home. Uh, they can hire contractors on chain, which can then uh, assign subcontractors to tasks. And then these homes can be put into lending communities where investors can come in, uh, see what the builder has uh, put on the home in terms of APY to earn uh, if an investment is put in and uh, come invest. But um, one of the really interesting things that Rigor is trying to do is they almost want to recreate the mortgage-backed security on-chain. So uh, they're going to have it so these communities are kind of bundles of mortgages together and investors can come and buy in. Um, but what they're trying to do uh, related to ZK is actually allow it so builders can only come in if they have a certain or sorry, investors can only come in if they have a certain uh, credit rating. So without mm -hmm. revealing what that credit rating is, they can see again, do they fall above a certain threshold and can they have access to these communities and put their money in? So that's something I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's coming soon to rigor. Okay, that's a good uh, like Polygon uh, announced recently. They're launching zk IDs. Do you know much about that? Like identifiers. Um, like basically, like having it's, it's kind of what you what Ian was just saying about like a credit score is one example, but like literally having an ID on chain, but being able to interact with an application where they can verify certain things about you without knowing who you are. Right. Yeah, I think um, one of the really interesting applications that uh, I would like to see uh, adopted by, um, you know, at least a government, if not our government, um, is uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, act. It came out like last year, but it was like stop uh, robots from scalping our stuff or something. Um, and it was basically making ticket scalping illegal. And mm -hmm. while that's great, uh, banning things works really well, as history has shown. Um, instead, we could just make it literally uh, impossible to duplicate uh, a spend. So there's something called Semaphore, which is a, uh, they call themselves a privacy gadget uh, for Ethereum. But literally, you could copy paste the code. Um, you would have like one semaphore gadget for like each ticket listing 
Um, and then you have like, uh, you do, uh, everyone's got like government issued IDs or, or even like you have to go register your ID privately. Um, you know, there's some way that you've authenticated your identity in real life, even though it's not like public on chain. Um, mm -hmm. There's like a, a identifier stashed in, again, a Merkle tree. Um, and uh, when, when you go buy something, uh, when you go buy a ticket to whatever concert, um, it will, you'll spend, uh, you'll, you'll use uh, an external nullifier is the cryptographic term. But functionally, what that is, is you signal that your ID has already um, purchased this without actually like broadcasting to anyone that, uh, you know, like David just bought this. Uh, it, that's not how it works. It's just this random change in the data but if you try to go repeat it you'll you'll be stopped by that nullifier and you won't be able to do the action again um so you could build a system that enforces uh you know you can only buy one thing online uh or something like that without uh you know exposing personal information or uh doing anything like that so um there's a lot of ways to extend that yeah yeah yeah, I, I, that, I'm really excited about because I think one of the challenges is like, like with DeFi, right? You can't do under collateralized lending very easily, for example, because you don't really have like credit scores or things like that to to trust people with, right? Whereas if you had some type of ID, but the problem is people don't want KYC, right? Like that's the main thing. So if you could have a ZK ID where they protocol can verify things about you without knowing who you are that i think opens a lot of doors uh for DeFi that people aren't really thinking about right now like that's one of the things i'm most excited about and see if people are going to build uh something like that i guess another thing really quickly that i would say is uh do you guys i don't know if you guys followed like all the legislation last year but uh the terminology self-hosted wallet did you guys mm. see that yeah um, that's like some super scary, like everyone was freaking out about that. But, um, I think that building in like decentralized, but compliant systems is actually going to be really easy because a self-hosted wallet is just MetaMask, right? You can sign a message from an exchange, uh, right. and that can serve as a KYC, uh, off board. And then you can do whatever the hell you want, uh, in crypto land. Uh, and like Tornado Cash, I didn't even notice this until uh, Mikey sent me um, the um, the Bitcoin fungibility thing. Uh, Tornado Cash apparently now blacklists um, certain um, certain addresses that are uh, determined to be bad. They did this. They did this for North Korea for Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the wrong move, but. Um, it's also, you know, not fully and entirely uh, decentralized. Mm -hmm. right. So, right. Yeah, we were having a lot of conversations about this the other day about like what what actually like what does that look like in like a year from now, right? Like, can, and how does that impact like what specific tokens are like on like different chains and all that stuff? Like, do you just get like blacklisted coins, and then like what happens? Well, like, what's the situation then, right? Um, I mean, I guess it makes everyone else's coins more valuable because they're they're just sitting there. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, 
I know obviously it's everyone's best guess, but like, do you get the feeling at the moment that at least let's say U.S. for now since we're Americans, but uh, like, do you think they are leaning more favorable or more antagonistic uh, at crypto at the moment? Americans, uh, American regulators. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, at the end of the day, while the controls over things like Bitcoin and just general decentralization will be uh, wide reaching, it's it's actually like think about Solana. Um, Solana is centralized, right? So you can have like you could design a system that like maybe you've got uh, so FedNow is like what they were calling the CBDC. Um, you could design a system where each of the 12 federal banks um, are a node on the network. And it is distributed. It is a blockchain. It might even be close to permissionless, aside from the fact that they can ban you and take your money and print a bunch of money. Um, but at least it would be auditable, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, But the thing is, you, there's a lot. It's very, very composable, and it, it can even you're probably going to see a lot of it happen in uh, already is happening kind of in China, uh, you know, with, with so many different systems of surveillance hooked up, they need to coordinate. What's the best way to do that? And the answer is a distributed ledger. It is the most secure way to, uh, and and the most persistent way to uh, keep your data. So if you have a bunch of different IOT systems communicating with each other, it makes a ton of sense. uh, And you're trying to like, (laughs) track an identity across a bunch of different IoT sensors. Um, To have cryptographically signed communication between all of these um, all of these nodes on your uh, surveillance network is super valuable and and super secure. So slowly but surely um, they're starting to wake up to the uh, kind of malicious (laughs) or at least you know controlling things that they can use. And I think that in general, at the end of the day, um, you know, it won't be banned. It won't be uh, like it'll flourish in America after a little bit of a legal battle for sure. But uh, and some concessions. But I, I think it'll ultimately be a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I think they money don't is, have a choice at this point, honestly. Money, money is pouring no, into no. the lobbyists. That's that's all you need. Uh, and uh, yeah, I heard Frank, um, I forget his last name, the guy from the block talking about this recently. Uh, and he was literally like, yeah, these lobbyists are seeing money they've never seen before from, from you know, presumably Novogratz and Sam and the like and Brian Armstrong. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of time is all I'm trying to say. Like, I, it, uh, you know, you got you to gotta sift through the, the shit of the, you know, the predecessors and the banks and, and credit card companies who have their kind of moat right now but uh we'll get there that's kind of how i view it i mean if you think about the petrodollar that's like the reason why the dollar is able to exist because everyone needs oil and uh we have a a deal with uh one of the largest oil producers to only trade oil in dollars so what happens when you know the congo goes you want cobalt? Great, give us Bitcoin. And we're like, no, right. no, 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 no. We'll, we'll give you dollars. We'll give you, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. We'll give you any currency you want. Nope, give us Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not happen, but it also might. And if you know, 
it does turn out that the U.S. government is one of the largest holders of Bitcoin, actually, because of all their seizures. But, um, you know, not that notwithstanding, uh, it's it's a pretty big issue if resources that they absolutely can't live without are locked behind um, truly sound cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. For long, sure. Or long story short is uh, zero knowledge good. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and we can end it with uh, hopefully zero knowledge for don't let the U.S. government spot on us all with a circle in the future or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and also I'll, I'll also leave it with this: um, if you guys, if anyone watching this or listening to this uh, is you know a developer but wants to get started, we uh, with zero knowledge, um, specifically the Circom stack, we did uh, a YouTube series. Uh, with basically, it's nothing special. It's just us running through the um, construction of the code base and and all the different um, motivations behind pretty much everything in in it. So it, it's a really great tutorial on how to uh, get started with Circom. So um, you know you kind of need to understand Solidity already to to really uh, utilize it to its full extent. But mm-hmm. um, if you just Google Battlezips um, SnarkJS on youtube uh well i guess youtube search it uh you'll find it for sure we'll get the link to that i'll make sure to put that in the description when we upload for everybody um any final thoughts before we go just zk good and uh you know hopefully uh government doesn't surveil us too much (laughs) this this was dope guys thank you guys for coming on this was a great combo yeah this was really in depth i'm gonna have to relive this yeah, I guess I'll just leave it with uh, this because um, you guys have you guys did ask a couple of times about like one chain to roll them all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I think the ETH is a root chain, and I think that nothing's going to replace Bitcoin. But beyond that, um, you know, it it really is. Uh, there's there's no room for maximalism, and uh, you know, just working on interoperability will uh, see everyone yeah. benefit. So, you know, I don't, I don't really think that uh, shitting on anyone's tokens, at least if they're not scam coins, is uh, that much fun because, you know, they're just trying their best to build something. Yeah. yeah. You're that brother. I feel, I feel that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick, yes. Jack and Ian, plug anything you want, socials, whatever, if people want to find you. Yeah. Uh, JP4G across the internet, uh, GitHub, Twitter, um, everything. So you can find me there. Cool. Yeah, and for me, Bright IR twenty twenty five on Twitter. That's B R I G H T I R twenty twenty five. Awesome, perfect. Thanks so much for coming on, guys.